questions? So this summer, as part of our uh, storyline series that we've been doing for the year, we've been doing this series called Poets' Corner, and looking at some of the poets and some of the poetry that we find in the Bible. We started back uh, at the beginning of the summer with Moses, who is actually the first poet that we see recorded in the Bible, which makes sense, because he's the first author that we read in the Bible. But the oldest poem in the book is actually Psalm 90, which was written by Moses, which ends up in a different place than maybe what we'd expected in the book of Psalms. But it's a great poem, and it's just about how to make the most of your days. We looked at the poem of Deborah, who was a uh, judge and a prophetess in Israel, and it was a military poem. And uh, one of the classic uh, forms that you see throughout antiquity is these military poems. We looked at David and the poem that he wrote that actually was not in the book of Psalms either. And that was an elegy at the, the, the death of Saul and of Jonathan and just his remembering of their lives. And then we looked, I looked at Psalm 119, which is the longest poem in the Bible. And it's just incredibly, it's a classic and just its literary content and how it's structured. The past couple of weeks, Mark has looked at some poems from Paul, which we might not necessarily think of Paul as a poet, and yet Paul was a prolific writer, so I guess it makes sense that he would be able to write some poetry too. Well, today we're going back to the Old Testament. You already know where we're going. We're going through the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. So I invite you to turn with me there. And our poet for today is a guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon's of interest to us because he is known as the wisest man who ever lived, although we could question that uh, in some regards. But as he writes this poem for us, he does what we're expecting him to do in that role. And he's contemplating like the big themes of life or the big questions of life. And the entire book of Ecclesiastes is basically Solomon's reflections on what life's about. Or we could say it this way, it's Solomon's exploration of what life is about. Because Solomon was a guy who had everything in life. He had money, he had prestige, he had power, he had fame, he had you name it. There were no restrictions in Solomon's life. And yet he felt empty and unfulfilled. We set out on this journey to figure out what life was all about. And it coincides with a lot of the questions that people even today still ask, and then people are still on the same journey. Big questions like, where did I come from? Or, or why am I here? Or, what is this life thing all about anyhow? Or how can I find some meaning in life? Or how do I know that I really matter? Or where is this all going anyhow? And for most people... And probably most of us, even in this room included, we wrestle with those questions sometimes. And so we go to this story, or this, this passage here, and, and we pick up in Solomon's journey. And so what Solomon did is he basically made a list. Like, okay, I, you know, can I find fulfillment here? Can I find meaning here? Can I find satisfaction here? And he starts to check things off his list, and he tries different things. Like, okay, I'm going to just build things, and I'm going to be powerful and, and rich and, and just have things, and maybe I'll find meaning there. And he takes off down that trail, 
And it's like, nah, that didn't really work. And, and so he moves over and says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to find meaning in, in romance and in relationships. And he starts down that trail and he finds that that trail's not very fulfilling either. And so he goes over to the next trail and he's like, you know what, knowledge, and we call it education. I'm just going to fill my mind and learn. And, and, and he goes off down that trail and he gets to the end of that trail and he's like, wow. That didn't really do it for me either. And then he, he gets on this trail that, that we're on today, and it's this trail of work. You know what? I'm going to work, and I'm going to find fulfillment in my work, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find achievement in those things, and that's really going to give me meaning in life. And as you get to the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, that's the trail that Solomon is walking down. And he's walking there and saying, can I, can I interpret life by my work, by my labor? Can that give me some value? Can that give me some meaning? But as he walks down that trail, it's as if he comes to a spur route. And, and there's a sign pointing off in a different direction, and he's walking down the street, and he's like, huh, I wonder what's over there. Maybe I should go check that out. And he walks down this side trail, and he gets to a place that I'm calling the Valley of Seasons. And he comes to the Valley of Seasons, and, and, and we're talking metaphorically here, but you feel like he's, he's at the end of the day, and, and the, the shadows are starting to settle, but as he looks into the valley, he sees something there that intrigues him. And he sees something like, oh, you know, maybe there's something here that I've missed on these other trails, and maybe there's something of significance here. And so as he stands here and he looks out over this valley of seasons, he starts to ponder. And it's like he pulls out his journal and he, and he starts to write. And he writes this poem that we're going to read next. He writes this poem that we already listened to some as, as the birds and the, uh, the anthem light sang. So join with me here as we look at Ephesians chapter 3. And Solomon writes this. He said, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And Solomon stands and he looks out over there. And in this poem that he writes, we see some of the reflections that he has. And instead of just writing them down as here's what I'm learning about life, he writes it down as this poem. But we go to this poem and we can extract some things that can be actually helpful to us in our lives too. And so the first thing we see here is, is his observations on life. The first thing is life is short. There's a time to be born and there is a time to die. And you've just got this little bit that's in between. And it's really not that long. And I realize that when we're young, that, boy, it seems like forever, doesn't it, life? You know, I just dropped two kids off that are, you know, still in starting careers. And it's like, ah, oh, they got all this in front of them. At the same time, I look back and realize how much of my life is gone. And life is short. And as we get older, it seems to get shorter and shorter, doesn't it? 
But Solomon said that, you know, as I look, I realize. I realize that life is short, so the point is what? Make the most of it. Grab every day and use it well. Take advantage of your opportunities. Life is short. Use what you have wisely. He makes a second observation here in this list. He says that life is set out for us. There are these times, there are these seasons, and they're going to happen. Whether or not you want them to, they're going to happen. And you can just count on that. We live a lot of our lives thinking, you know what, it's all about the choices that I make, and the choices that we make are so important. And yet there's a lot of life that's decided for us that is not based on the choices that we make. We didn't decide, we didn't choose our parents. We didn't choose our kids either, did we? I guess you can say you can choose whether or not to have them. But, but there's a lot of things that we don't decide. You didn't decide to be born where you were born. You didn't, there's a lot of things that we really have no control over. And the point is that we spend a lot of life fretting and worrying and stressing about things that we maybe don't have any control over. And sometimes we need to step back and say, you know what? I can't control that. So I'm not going to waste all of these, this emotional energy here. Instead, I'm just going to have to say, this is what it is, and I'm going to make the best of it rather than trying to, to overturn it. And so a lot of our life is set out for us. We need to, to make good choices where we can, and where we can't, we need to still make good choices about what we can't and how we approach them. He says a third thing here. Life is seasonal. And I'm grateful for that. It doesn't stay the same. Seasons roll over. The day, one day rolls into the next and into the next, but they're separated by night. And we, we roll from summer to fall to winter. To, we don't really have spring here in Michigan. Uh, but we go back to summer again. And, and this season's come. And life is like that. It's seasons, which is encouraging, isn't it? Because if we're in a bad season of life, we can look forward to a good season. It's also encouraging when we're in a good season of life to say, hey, let's, let's enjoy this season here. But life is seasonal. So it's going to have some ups. It's going to have some downs. We just need to accept that and make the best of it. He says a fourth thing here. He says that life is cyclical. We think of life as being on this timeline. When you're born, when you die, and you've got this line in between. But what actually Solomon is saying is, no, it's more like a, it's more like a circle. And, and so we go through this experience here, and, and there's season, and it's good, and then, then maybe we go through hard times, but, but then it comes back again, and, and it goes this way, and it keeps coming back, and so we kind of go through life like this, but it's interesting, as the, as the experience itself changes, the underlying fabric of it stays similar, and so we could say, well, I'm, I'm going through this time right here, and it's different than anything I've ever been through before, and yet it's kind of like some things I've been be through before. And so the point here is that every cycle of life teaches us something that when we move on to the next cycle of life can be helpful to us. And so we're, we're almost like a wheel that's rolling down here, and each time that wheel turns, we gain knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we have for the next rotation and the next rotation. And life is cyclical. He said a fifth thing here. He says that life is situational. We are limited by the moment. You can only live in this minute. You can think back to yesterday, but you can't go back. You can think ahead to tomorrow, 
But you can't get there until tomorrow arrives. All you have is the moment that you are living in. And so we need to lean into this moment. And this is, by the way, a theme that we see throughout Scripture. The manna that came to the Israelites in the Old Testament, it was enough for that day. Jesus, what did he say in the Sermon on the Mount there? He says, don't borrow from tomorrow. Don't worry about things that you Just live in this moment. Live in this day. And Solomon is saying this. Hey, you just have this moment, this situation that you're in right now. Grab a hold of it and live it well. And so we look at this list here that show, or these themes that come out of this poem. And there's some really good life hacks here. You're like, you know what, if, if this is, these are observations on life, but this actually gives me some ideas of how to live my life better. And yet, at the same time, they're pretty limited. Because all of those ideas still don't answer the big questions like, why am I here? What is this life all about? What am I supposed to be doing? Where is this all going? Those questions remain unanswered. And so we could say a sixth thing here. That life, by these observations, is still somewhat bleak. So yes, you have this moment, but then this moment's gone. And yes, you have some good times, yeah, but the bad times are coming. And yes, you're here today, but boy, your life is short. It's going to be gone before you know it. And it feels a little bit bleak. And as Solomon stands here in the valley of seasons, and the sun sets... And the shadows fall and it gets dark. He writes this poem and it's helpful. But you kind of feel a little bit like it's, hmm. In fact, look at the next line here and what he says. So what do workers gain from their toil? I mean, I'm sorry to get it, but, but, but is this all there is? I mean, I've seen, verse number 10, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Like, yeah, this is helpful, but it still kind of feels a little bit bleak. And then I think he listens to himself, though. He says, I have seen the burden that God, I've seen the burden that God, that God, and there's this idea that comes to his mind as he stands there. The sun begins to come up over this valley, and something happens. And he realizes what he's been missing as he's been looking out over life here. And what he's been missing is this God element. And his journey at that moment is like interrupted and he has like this aha moment. And where he has been, you know, the, the, the muse and writing his poetry, it's like all of a sudden he grabs his pen again and he just starts scribbling furiously the thoughts that are coming to his mind. And that's what we get next in this passage. And so we remember this classic poetry that he wrote. But the real significance comes in what he says next. And so, yes, we have great literary poetry, but we have incredible insight in these next verses. It gives us a new perspective, and what it does is it gives us a why for life. Up to this point, he's been talking about the what's and the how's of life, and he shifts gears here. So read with me in verse number 11. He says this, he has made everything beautiful, in his time, God has made everything beautiful in his time. God has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one could fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And so let's walk through these next verses. And I'm going to borrow an outline because it was so good from Charles Swindoll. 
is he pulls apart these verses, but these are really, really good. The first thing that we see here is we see what God makes. And we're told what? That he makes everything beautiful in its time. In other words, what God does is he takes every event of life and he gives it meaning. It doesn't just exist as something that happens. It exists with a reason behind it, with a lesson to be learned or a direction even to where it's going. And he takes those moments, even the hard moments, and says, I can make this matter. In fact, I can make this matter for good. And this verse right here is like the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28 that we like to quote a lot. But the idea is that every moment of life, God is involved in it. And God can take it, and God can redeem it, and God can make it something for good. Now, in the proper time. And it may, you know, extend past the now. It may be somewhere in the future. And it may be somewhere all the way into the next future, beyond our lifespan. But there's a promise here that God is taking what's going on in our life and he's giving meaning to it. And it's a reminder to us what, that the, the process is just important as the product. And so we have a tendency uh, to, to focus on the experiences that we go through where God invites us to focus on the process that we grow through. And so we can take all the situations that we face in life, good and bad, and say, oh, there's, there's meaning to this. There's actually hope for this. Secondly, it tells us that he makes eternity part of the human heart. He says he has set eternity in the human heart, is actually what it says. God has put the immortal within the mortal. There's something inside us that says, oh, there's got to be more here. And that's why we ask these questions in the first place. It's put into the human heart. It's not put into the animal heart. My dog has never had a, a question about her existence, I don't think. There's no evidence of that. But we ask that why? Because we are given a God consciousness and a, and, and a sense of immortality even though we are mortal. And so we can, we can live our lives and say, you know what, there has to be something bigger, deeper, more meaningful behind this. And it's the sense that everything's going somewhere and that there's actually more to the story. That tomorrow matters. And that tomorrow is not just going to be a Groundhog Day repetition of today. It's got new possibilities and new opportunities. And it's leading to a further story here. I like what Swindoll actually says, what God has put in us is an itch for tomorrow. I like today, but I can't wait to get to tomorrow. Because tomorrow's got potential and possibilities and hope as well. And that hope is not just in this world. This hope is into the next world. Not just that today's things can be redeemed, but that we can be redeemed. And that we can live into eternity but what it does for us is it gives us a rubric to actually make sense of life. It doesn't all have to be solved right here in this moment. There can be some mysteries that we scratch our head and go, I don't know what that's all about. Realizing that as we get into eternity, those answers will come. So that's what God makes. Next we see is what God gives. And we read this in verse number 12. I know that there will be nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift, or we could say gifts, of God. And there's four gifts that he lists right here. God gives us, first of all, the ability to experience human happiness. To experience joy. 
And what a gift. I mean, life is supposed to be enjoyable. When God created Adam and Eve and planted them and put them in a garden, he didn't look at them and say, hey, you know what? I hope you're miserable. And, you know, let's, let's bring some rain. You know, no, it's like, hey, look what I've created here. Look at these animals that you can enjoy. Look at the nature that, that you're in. Look at all these things you can eat. There's one thing you can't, but look at everything else that's out here. And God has created us to enjoy this life, and it's meant to be enjoyed. And when we get a, a perspective where all we can find is the negative and all we can find is all the things that are going wrong, and where we stop enjoying life, we're missing out on a gift that God has given us. And God has given us that gift, that ability to enjoy your life. Is it perfect? No. Is it good? Well, if you look around enough, yes. And so that's a gift that he gives us, that experience. And we've had those moments, too, where you just take it in. I, we, I mentioned we went to, to Zion. And I'm, I'm riding down the little, uh, I want to say trolley. That's not the word. What do I want? Um, what is it? Tram? I don't know what it was called. Whatever, the bus into the park. And I'm standing there, and there's like holes in the roof. And I'm looking out the holes of the roof and realizing there are like these giant canyon walls on either side of me. And I'm like, I've never been in a place like this before. And I'm like, I was just sitting there taking in going, Whoa. well, why is that? Because God creates that for us so that we can enjoy life. And in that moment, believe me, I was enjoying life. Now, after I'd hiked to the top of some of those, Maybe not so much. And yet at the same time, the views are absolutely incredible. But that's that enjoyment that God gives. And it's from God that we can sit back, relax, sometimes let go of the fear and the stress and all that things that steal our joy and just live in that moment. Secondly, he gives us the gift to do good while we live. That's interesting, isn't it? One of the gifts that God gives us is the ability to do good to and for other people. And if you've done that, you know that. It's like, you know what, I help somebody, strangely, and I feel better. You give a gift for somebody and they really like it and you feel good. Or somebody, you know, in the snow, we won't think about that, but, you know, it does happen sometimes around here. And you help push them out and you go and you get back in your car and you're like, yeah. And it's not that you feel proud about it, it's that you feel good about it. Well, God made us that way, partly because God's a giver and we're made in his image. But we have opportunities in life for Christmas in July, as we're talking about. But when we do those things, we are benefited in the process. Now, that's not the reason to do it. And yet that is a residual effect that we can enjoy those things. where We can feel like we're making a difference. That we made the world a better place or somebody's life around us a little bit better. That's a gift that we've been given to be able to do that. Thirdly, he says we have the appetite to eat and drink. You ever think about food as a gift? You know, we can go out after church here and eat ice cream. Now, we'll do it in moderation, okay? So no more than four or five, you know, different things. But you can take a bite of ice cream and go, oh, that tastes good. And you know why it tastes good? Because God made it to taste good. And that's Okay. And we are given just the ability to enjoy simple things like food and drink and all of those things. All the daily pleasures of life, but not just the ability to enjoy them, the appetite for them. Appetite is a gift. And it's a gift that, that, that motivates us, that moves us, that keeps us going forward in life. It's what drives us. 
And that's a gift that God gives us. He also says here, another gift is the capacity to find satisfaction in a job well done. You know that feeling when you've done a task and you've done it well and you sit back and go, yeah. I remember my master's program when I turned in the, the little mini thesis that I had to do. And I, I turned that thing in and I'd worked hard on it. And I was like, yeah, that felt good. You know, when you've done a remodeling project, when you've done your kitchen and, and you finally put that last piece of, of uh, baseboard up. And you're like, yeah. But God gives us that ability even in our work. It's not ultimately satisfying, but those moments bring us joy and bring us pleasure, where we can step back from our work and go, yeah. And God gives us that as a gift. And then he goes on here in verse number 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And so it's what God makes and it's what God gives, but it's also what God does. What is God up to in the big picture but also in the picture of you. What is God up to in your life? And as you go through life, we have the assurance that God is up to something in your life, in your circumstance, whatever you're dealing with at work, whatever you're dealing with at home, whatever you're dealing with in the house or, or with kids or whatever, your health, whatever, whatever that is, God's at work in there. But we, here's the assurance that we're given. First of all, he does things permanently. Secondly, he does things perfectly. And thirdly, he does things purposefully. And so he's going to do things that have a lasting impact, value, change, effect in your life. He's going to do things that change you in positive, perfect ways. And he's going to go about that process purposefully. Why? Well, it says there so that people will fear him, so that you can have this relationship with him that he wants you to have. And all of these things that we're dealing with in life should turn our focus to him. And it's as Solomon stands and looks over this valley of seasons, and all of a sudden there's light that comes in, and he turns and he recognizes the light. And that's how it's supposed to be. So what's the point? The point is that God is involved in our lives. The point is that our lives matter. Our, our point, the point is that God will make our lives matter and that he will help us do life right. He is in control. He's good. He's personable. And so the sun brings the colors out of this shadow of in that valley. In a drab and dreary life takes on vibrancy and color and energy and luster so that we can enjoy life. So what do we do with this? There's a long list this morning, isn't there? And you could go in so many different directions. You could be encouraged this morning just to enjoy the moments of life. The, the birthday party with your kids, the vacation that you get to take, the pizza that tastes so good. Secondly, you can do your work so well that you can find reward in the job that you're doing. That's a, a godly thing. You can find, thirdly, hope in tomorrow. And, and you can remember that it's a season, and, and this may be an ending, but with an ending comes a beginning. 
And we can find hope in that tomorrow. We can stop stressing over the things that we can't control. There are some things that are just going to happen, and we can't change it, and we can just be okay with that. We can look for new beginnings. We can do good in our lives. We can look for people around us where we can bring encouragement or, or cheer or, or help to them. We can learn what we're supposed to learn from the moment that we're in because it's going to cycle around. If we can take the lesson of today that was so hard to learn and have it available for tomorrow, that'd be a plus, wouldn't it? We can eat good food. We can see God in the story. And you can see yourself in God's story as well. You can find hope in eternity. There are so many different takeaways that we can take, not just from this poem, but from the insight that Solomon gains from his observations. And so we stand with Solomon and look out over his valley of seasons there, and we wait for the sun to come up. And we wait for God to flood our lives with the colors and the vibrancy of this creation that we live into, these lives that we play out. But that can only be found in God. Let's pray. God, thank you for just sometimes the simple truths that come from your word. And the encouragement that comes to us. And maybe this morning as, as we are gathered here, you've come in and it's like you're worn down, your life looks a little bleak to you, and, and maybe it's you're in one of those cycles that's, that's negative, where it's a time to weep or a time to mourn, and yet there's encouragement, hopefully, for you here this morning. The greatest encouragement, though, is the fact that it's not just this life, there's another life an eternal life, a second life. And my question is, have you taken the steps to guarantee that for yourself? Have you invited Jesus Christ into your life to forgive you, be your forgiver, to give you life here and now, but to give you life eternally? Give you a relationship with, with him, with God the Father? You can invite him into your life to do that right here as you sit this morning. And if you've never made that decision, I would encourage you to make that decision. Your life will never make sense outside of God. You can take all the observations of Solomon, but they'll still be bleak unless you add God to the picture. Because he's the one who makes things beautiful in his time. He's the one who promises eternity. If you're a Christ follower here this morning, what do you need to grab onto? What is the truth here that, that you need to make your own for today, or even as you look forward into this week. Would you identify something right here in, in this moment? And so, God, we come and we stand with Solomon at this valley of seasons, and we look up, though, not just at what's in front of us, but look at you who is above us. And who gives meaning and purpose and encouragement and joy and laughter and happiness and all of these good things that we enjoy in life. And we're so grateful for them. God, please help us to be mindful of this as we go through this week. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for coming out and welcoming me back. We're glad to have you here today. We've got ice cream outside. If, we haven't, if you didn't pick up on that, it's coming it's just out there. And Mark was all excited about all the different things that he found that you can uh, have to choose from. And, uh, but we would love to have you join us for that. Would you stand with me here this morning? Next week, we're going to be going back to the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at another poet in the New Testament by the name of Jesus. And uh, actually, Chris is going to be bringing the, the message next week and talking about the Beatitudes. You're going to want to hear that, so come back and join us. Thanks for being here this morning. I'd love to catch up with all of you, but let's go eat some ice cream. You're dismissed.